Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Today, we are building with Allie Parsons. I have known Allie and her family my entire life, thanks to our dads being best friends since college. Allie, along with her sister Maddie, are the sisters I never had. Allie is a graduate of Clemson University with a degree in marketing. Allie then went on to hold eight jobs across eight different industries, all before the age of 30. Allie has now found her calling as the Director of Service Programming at the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida, and is one of the hosts of the podcast Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. On this episode, Allie walks through her journey sharing her learnings about herself and life itself. She enforces the need to give yourself grace, the realities of loneliness, how important the first hour of the day is, and what life is like without a microwave. Enjoy. There are very few people outside of my immediate family that I have known and remained close with to this date. And today's guest is one of those people. So welcome to the pod, Allie. Excited to have you. you. Happy to be here. All right, I'm excited about these get to know you questions because I've known you for a long time, but mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to these questions. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you a couple of them and we're going to see where this goes. And by the way, I ran these would you rathers by your family yesterday. Perfect. So they had input. <laughs> would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Oh, I mean, mouth noises are the worst. So I think I'm going to go talk like Yoda. Would you rather have one child or six children? Six. Yeah, I figured that was the answer too. Yeah. Would you rather wear only sequined clothing or <laughs> only all black clothing for a year? All black. I mean, I love a good theme, but my day-to-day wardrobe is basically all black. Although I'm wearing a white t-shirt right now, ironically. <laughs> but this is audio only, so <laughs> Okay, and then the one I'm most interested in. Okay, you are very happily married, have a child, probably going to have more because you just said that you were going to have six. That's right. But if this had to happen, would you rather let your mother or your father create your online dating profile? Ooh. I think I'm going to have to go. Ooh, gosh, that is tough. Pros and cons to both. I think I would have to go with my mom which kind of surprises myself. I think my dad would get way too wordy and would have like the most random facts about me. (laughs) But my mom, you know, she was in business for 40 years. So I think she would know how to market me well. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's honestly, we talked about it yesterday with your family. I asked them this question and the consensus was that you were going to pick your dad. I know. I mean, it really is a really hard 
choice, but I think he would just get too crazy with it and be putting things I'm just not interested in my first impression being. I really want him to go through this exercise, actually, now that we're talking about it. So separate thing, we're going to create that. I reached out to you about doing this pod right before you went on a trip out west. And a few days later, my wife walks in and says, uh, according to Instagram, Allie fell off a cliff. <laughs> and I purposely have not asked for this story because I wanted it. I wanted to hear it first thing on the pod, get, oh. get the genuine reaction. So let's hear it. Yeah. You know, what's funny is when you asked me to be on the podcast, I was with my sister, Maddie and Matt, who you know very well. And one of when you told me, you know, tell a fun story about yourself. I was like, oh man, what story am I going to tell? And it, right away, my, Maddie was like, oh, breaking your arm, rollerblading. And then we went on the our hiking trip, and I got injured again, which is now the story. I don't know if these are fun stories, but they're entertaining nonetheless. So, yeah, we went to Glacier in Montana. Um, it was my husband Wes and I, and then Maddie and Matt, my sister and brother in law. It was to celebrate my 30th birthday. First day, first hike. We go up. I mean, we're like in the back country of Glacier National Park. It took like over two hours to get to the entrance. You have to like bypass two lakes. You hike around them on flat ground or you can take a boat across to get to this hike that people just told us was unbelievable. So we're like in the middle of nowhere. It's a pretty strenuous hike, uh, but just beautiful. All the alpine lakes, which is what Glacier is known for, like the crystal blue green lakes. And we get to the top and we eat lunch and it's just a magical experience. And we're coming down and I had already had the thought, like I had a baby 11 months ago. And when you have a baby, your body is totally different after. I mean, you have a wife who has now three babies and one very recent. So you're experiencing this, I'm sure, secondhand, obviously. But, you know, your organs are all loose. Your core is loose. Like, it's you're just like, your body is totally different. And I hadn't been hiking since having a baby. And so as we're coming down, I'm like, already feeling unsteady. Like I'm already feeling like, oh, I'm going to talk to Wes tonight about how like I just, you know, my body's different and I need to like work on my core. I'm all this like running through my mind. Well, next thing you know, I mean, we were just coming down this steep part and I hit a rock wrong and I went flying through the air. And so you have to think like, when you're coming down a hike, you're not running, but you're moving with rhythm. And so it's all of my momentum, all of my weight and gravity, because we're coming downhill, just launching into the air. So I land Superman style, if you can imagine. And initially I'm like, oh, like very shaken up. And I remember looking at my knee and it was bleeding, not horribly, but my knee's bleeding. My leggings were ripped. And I remember thinking, dang, these are my favorite leggings. I can't believe my leggings are ripped. And then when I go to reach for my leggings, I realize I can't move my shoulder. And I look down and my shoulder is lower than what it should be. And so I said out loud, I think my shoulder is dislocated. And then I heard a random lady say, I think her finger's broken. I said, no, my finger's fine. And I look down and my right pinky is just laying flat across my hand, like in the most unnatural position of all time. 
So then I start a little bit hyperventilating. So now by this point, you know, a crowd is gathering. Matt and Maddie were in front of me. Wes was, there was actually a group of people behind me. And then Wes was behind them because he had pulled off to go to the bathroom. And so now there's like a group of people. So Matt comes up and he's like, you want me to put your shoulder in back in? And I'm like, do you know how to do that? Because Matt is nothing medical. He works in sales, but he's very handy and very good under pressure. So he, uh, he's like, yeah, I did it for a friend one time. So I'm like, all right, I guess so. So they lay me on the trail. I'm now taking up the entire trail. There are people lining up on either side. This is the busiest week of the entire year to be in Glacier National Park. Lays me down. He's rotating my shoulder, which by the way, was excruciatingly painful. It took over a minute for him to get my shoulder back into place, but it popped back in. He like rips his shirt off, fashions a sling. I told Wes, I love Wes to literal pieces, but I told him, thank goodness Matt was there because you're great emotional support, but Matt like put my shoulder back in, fashioned the sling because I still had to hike down two miles. Like there's just nothing you can do when you're up there. There's there's no, no one's driving up to get you. Like, there's just no way you don't even have cell phone service to call anyone. So, um, I get up, I'm like very woozy seeing stars. I thought I had a concussion cause I had a big old goose egg on my forehead. Turns out they think I was just kind of nauseous and woozy from the pain of the shoulder, no concussion. So we hiked down two miles. We had to get boat evacuated across two lakes. We get down there and as I said, it's the most crowded week of the entire year at Glacier. We get down there and we don't have tickets for the boat and because it's totally sold out because we had hiked up it. So Matt goes down and tells the captain like, hey, we have an emergency. She's been injured. She needs to be on this boat, blah, blah, blah. So there's like a line of 60 people waiting to get on this boat. And the captain, he's like, all right, we got an injury, like announcing to the entire line of people. And I'm just walking, holding my arm, just like multiple limbs injured. So let me get back. We met up with some park rangers. They were confused how I injured three out of four limbs. They kept asking me, how did you fall again? So then they said, you know, the closest hospital is about two hours away. It's called Indian Health Services. And it was on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. So we go in and we were there for eight hours and they gave me medicine that they didn't even tell me what it was. I'm not even really sure what it was. Um, and then they had to do a procedure. They put me under. Before they put me under, they said this nurse had handwritten out, here are the risks. And she wrote like two risks at the top. And, and I don't remember what they were. And then the one, the third one that she wrote was death. <laughs> and I said, oh, death. She said, oh, don't even worry about it. It's like a one in 100 chance. I'm like, one in 100? That's way too high to fix a broken pinky. <laughs> anyway, so like the whole thing was just like, what is happening? So they sedated me with evidently a narcotic that's not used in anesthesia anymore, according to trusted sources. And I came out of that and they had rebroken my finger and tried to straighten it and given me seven stitches in my knee and sent me on my way. And honestly, I woke up the next morning very sore and stiff, of course, but 
my legs still worked and we still hiked the rest of the trip. And there really wasn't much that we didn't do that we wanted to do, which I'm really grateful for because Glacier is a really hard place to get to and expensive. And it would have been so much worse had I had like a leg injury and I couldn't, you know, still hike and get out there. But given the injuries, like I was still, we were still able to fully enjoy the trip. What was supposed to be this four day trip to celebrate my 30th birthday. I'm still paying for six weeks later (laughs) with a broken pinky. So that's that. (laughs) Amazing. I'm so glad I waited for that story to hear it just straight from the source. (laughs) Oh man! But what a champ, what a champ. It doesn't surprise me knowing you for as long as I have, but it doesn't surprise me that you battled through that and still were able to see the joy in everything and, and still make it super fun. One in 100. And you still signed it? You know, I mean, it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, the next closest hospital is three hours away. My pinky's laying across my hand. I've been here for six hours. No one has even talked to me. And I literally like have an appendage not attached to my body. And I was like delirious because what is even happening? So I'm like, all right, hope this is a good story to tell. Hope I live and tell this story because it'll be good. And I also could tell, I think she meant more than one in 100. I think she was like trying to say like, it's a really small chance. And then like said one in 100 and wasn't like fully thinking about that's like incredibly high. Right. (laughs) Like most days I have a greater than 99% chance of living. Most days. I'm like, how many hikers have been in here today? Are we on 99? Because I'm not trying to be the 100. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Well, thank you for sharing, Allie. That was of course. super enjoyable. I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask every guest. How would you define a growth mindset? I think for a lot of years, I would define a growth mindset as never being content with where you are, always like looking and striving towards what's your next goal. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I think you are too. And so for a long time, that's pretty much how I lived my life. And in the past five years, I would say, I've actually realized that I would define a growth mindset as the opposite, like almost humility and obscurity. And we grow the most, we expand our edges when we, or when I, I won't apply this to everyone, but when I am actually like removing my striving from the picture. And when I'm saying, okay, like this is what I've been given. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and watch how I grow from that. That's very different from how most people would define a growth mindset. I enjoy that. Okay. (laughs) Next one. How would you define your why or your purpose in life? So faith is really important to me. I mean, I grew up in church and, but kind of got lost for a few years in all that. And When I was 22, I was living in New York and in a really hard season and um, just kind of brought to a place of desperation and thinking like, there's just got to be more. There has to be more to life than me. Like it just, it can't end on myself. It can't end on, like there just has to be something bigger. And um, it really brought me to a place of just exploring and realizing that there is a God who has orchestrated everything and I hold that really closely to me. And so my why, my purpose is honestly to 
walk out what I feel like God is calling me to do. And, and the hope is that I would point other people to the freedom and goodness and joy that I have found in following Jesus. And that's really like how I operate. I try to operate in everything I do it for one step beyond me because it just can't culminate on myself. Yeah. I, I know the struggles you had and the kind of the epiphany that you awakened to in your time in New York. And I'm curious. So you just to like tell a little bit of your journey. I mean, you were, mm-hmm. as you said, you're three on the Enneagram, you super successful yeah. in high school, college, like involved in everything that you could be involved in, went into IBM, started going through that whole like corporate world. I'm going to go live in New York. I'm going to be young and single and free and, you know, live that lifestyle. And then you just kind of had this like awakening, like not only is the corporate life not for me, but also this just life of being in New York and the hustle and away from family and all this is just not for me. And I'm curious because I'm sure your 21 year old self would be like, wow, I made it. I made it. I was here. I was, I was living in New York. I was living with roommates. I was doing this scene and I have a great corporate job. And then you said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. Like I, I need to, I need to not do this. So what do you remember feeling when you started thinking about making that career change? Well, you know, what's funny is, I mean, I struggle with idealism, meaning like, I think I had a very rose colored view of what New York was going to be for me. And like you said, it had never been hard for me to make friends. I, Just like where I grew up, where I went to college, I went to Clemson and South Carolina, just the culture of those places. It's just the environments are easy, were easy for me to make friends. And so when I moved to New York, I mean, I literally thought I was going to be like Devil Wears Prada in my big building, wearing heels, getting dropped off by a driver. I mean, I'm being a little dramatic, but... I mean, not far from it. And then I get there and I'm trudging over a mile from my apartment in sneakers, sweating because it's summer in New York, which is the actual worst place on earth during summer, sweating, changing into my work shoes, going to my, I don't even have a cubicle. We just had rotating desks. So there was just so much growth for me there and, and it wasn't just the job. Like I was also just going through a massive personal journey of, which I think everyone hits at some point in their twenties, you begin to process all of your childhood experiences and how they've culminated on themselves at that point. And just like decisions I had made, some shame I was dealing with, my relationship with food and disordered eating. Like there was just a lot I was going through personally. In addition, I was dropped in the middle of nowhere with no friends and no community and like just in a, in a desert. And I mean, I mentioned that faith is really important to me. And and I do believe like God will bless us or break us, whatever it takes to draw us near to him. And I, and I think I just needed a desert season to see like, okay, 
I have been living for myself. And how's that going for me? Not really great in this moment. Up until this point, it's been good. And I've been feeling self-sufficient. And now I'm realizing like, I am, I'm not self-sufficient. And just coming to that place of like, again, like I mentioned, just living beyond myself. So then I started evaluating to actually get to the question that you asked me. I just wanted to give some more context to what I was going through personally, because anyone that makes the journey of massive career change, I just, there's just so, it's always more nuanced than what it seems. Like there's always more at play. And I was just going through a really intense season personally and spiritually and emotionally. So at that point, then I just started to think like, this just isn't fulfilling for me. That was like the word that just like kept coming back, which looking back, I find funny because, well, I don't know. I don't know that something needs to be fulfilling. I don't know. I don't know how I would define what's fulfilling to me and what's not, but this was my 22 year old self. So to me, my cup was not being filled by the sales job that I had. Um, and just like the environment I, I was in, it just wasn't what was healthy for me. So initially I felt failure. I felt for some reason I had it in my head that I was going to live in New York at least two years. And this started happening when I had lived there for about nine months. And I just started running through the, the Enneagram three in me was like, if you quit this, if you leave New York, everyone's going to think you couldn't make it. Which is just, again, funny to me now because I've just grown so much. Like, And I just see now that it was actually the best thing for me to leave and that nobody thought that. Oftentimes, we think people think way more about us than they actually do. And I don't think anyone thought that. And everyone saw that it wasn't the best thing for me. And so I think I was just, yeah, feeling a lot of like thoughts of failure and guilt that I couldn't make it in New York. That was really hard for me. I remember exactly where I was when you called me to say that you were leaving IBM. And I remember- Which I put off for weeks. I was terrified to tell you. I was terrified to tell my parents. I was, I mean, I was like crippled by fear that what people would think when I told them. Oh, and I felt that on the other side of the line. I remember you thinking like you were apologizing to me profusely about leaving IBM and you know leaving this life that, you know, I had a very small part in helping you get to. A and, very big part, but yes. You were like, I mean, I just remember how, I remember hanging up and being like, I can't believe Allie was apologizing to me. Like <laughs> I am so, I want to be so happy for her that she is, yeah, going to go do something like a person that I care so much about is going to go do something better for themselves, whatever they think that is. Yeah. And she's sitting there apologizing to me. So I can, I can appreciate the mindset that you are in because I, I felt it in that moment. Sure. What do you wish you knew then? A lot. I think the biggest thing I look back on, I just wish I would have given myself grace in the process. Like I think I mean, what 22-year-old knows what they're going to do with their life? I mean, I know that there are some out there, but I just look back. I'm like, of course I didn't know. Of course it was confusing. But I had been on a trajectory for so many years of my life towards one thing, 
And I just, what I just didn't give myself grace to try and figure it out. I just, I felt like I had to have all the answers. I felt like I had to know exactly what I was going to go and do if I left the corporate world. I mean, people know a tendency I have is I get very passionate about something for like a minute and then I'm on to the next thing. And so I just had all these feelings of, well, everyone's just, no one's going to believe that you actually want to do this because you have a tendency to like a thing for a minute and then be over it. And so I just wish I would have given myself grace as a 22 year old who had never really lived on her own. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, of course it was scary. And of course there was so much uncertainty and fear. And I just, I'm like, gosh, I was so hard on myself and put so much pressure on myself to figure it out. And I wish I would have just given myself a minute because I'm sure we'll talk about, but the next year and a half of leaving the corporate world was not sunshine and rainbows. And I just wish I, I could have, I would have just given myself a second to figure it out. Yeah. Well, so someone that's caught in that moment right now, or maybe will be soon, what advice would you have for them? Go do something fun. Go do something that broadens your worldview or your perspective. I, again, like I was on a trajectory and I mean, what? They make you decide a major when you're 18 and then there's pressure to get an internship for a summer when you're in college and then you get out and what job are you getting and where are you moving to? And I just, like, I know people now who said, I'm not going to fall into that pattern. I'm going to go work a ski season in Colorado for a year. I'm going to go work on a ranch in, in Wyoming for a year. I'm going to go live in Australia and just work at a coffee shop, but like experience another culture. And those people have amazing jobs now. And I can tell you that anyone that did that does not regret it. And maybe there's like this false idea that you might fall behind and an employer's not going to want to see that. But I just say that's just not true because the lessons that you can learn from just go and doing something outside of your comfort zone in a new place, in a new culture with new people will give you skills that you can bring into any job environment. So I would just say if someone is having similar feelings of just like, is this what's right for me? Just like take a year and do something fun. I mean, don't like, I don't love the whole millennial, like just follow your passion and like do what feels good to you. Go get a random service job and work really hard, but in like a new place and just see what you learn and where you go from there and what connections you make. Because like I said, I just don't think anyone that's done that has regretted it. And as a hiring manager, I love seeing that on people's resume because I, yeah. it, it, it broadens their perspective. There's this concept of a dragonfly who can, a dragonfly has, I think, 30,000 lenses in each eye and they can basically see 360 degree view and doing something like that adds a lens to your eye. It adds right. a different perspective and it combines with your other perspectives, other lenses that you've had throughout your life based on the experiences, where you've lived, the cultures you've experienced. Right. And it gives, it makes you unique. I may look at it differently if you worked at a coffee shop in Australia for seven years and now you're looking sure. for a tech job. But if you're 21 years old and you're working at a coffee shop in Australia and maybe trying some other things while you're there and can have some stories to share. And now you're like, all right, right. now I'm ready. I'm a little more mature. I'm a little more cultured and I'm ready to go put my skills that I you know spent at college or wherever to go, to go develop. 
I think that's super interesting. And, you know, I will never forget this, but the, the guy that interviewed me when I was interviewing for IBM, he asked me like, what's the proudest accomplishment you've ever done? Or, or no, 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 not, or maybe like hardest thing that you've accomplished. Or I don't remember what the exact question was. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I haven't had an internship. I, I couldn't think I blanked on any of my business related experiences. So I told him, and I, and I was so embarrassed by the answer. And I told him that I um, had recently trained and ran a half marathon in college. And at the end of the interview, he was a, an amazing person because he told me, here's what I really liked about your interview. Here's some tips next time. You know, he kind of debriefed the interview right after it, which was really cool. And I remember him saying how much he loved that answer because for a college kid, to set a goal of running a half marathon and accomplishing it with all the other things going on in college tells me so much about your character. And like, he did not care about the tasks I had completed or the projects I had done. He cared about my character. And that's what I feel like those kind of experiences, putting yourself in a hard environment where you have to make friends, make connections, wake up early every morning to do a job that maybe isn't what you're called to do, but you get the discipline of doing it. These are the things that build character and build, like the, like you said, those lenses that will take you places in your career. And that's kind of like a flip, I feel like, of what at least I learned about preparing myself for the adult life. And it just gets back to, I've felt, I've personally felt this way in interviews when I've coached other people about going into interviews. We're all humans. We all wake up, we all go to the bathroom, we all, you know, look at our phones. We all, we all have these experiences. We have family, we have struggles, we have friends, we have interests and hobbies. And it doesn't have to be this super formal, I need to say the right answer. You just need to be, right. just be authentic. That's right. with who you are. And, and it's amazing where that will take you. And if you sure. are authentic and someone doesn't react well to that, it's probably not the job. It's probably not the friend. Right. It's probably not the person you want to be around anyways, because there's right. 7 billion people in the world and there's others that will find your authentic self admirable. So true. So you leave corporate, then what? I know my sister told you to ask this, which makes me laugh because she wants me to talk about all the jobs that I had. Um, so, okay. So I'm in New York again, struggling. I'm lonely. I was experiencing loneliness for the first time. I don't think I said that earlier, but I feel like people need to hear it. Loneliness is, I mean, it is like a spirit of darkness. Experiencing loneliness. I mean, it, it can do things to you mentally. I like hesitate to say that I was in like a season of depression because I know that there are people like I have never been diagnosed with that, but I did get a glimpse of what it is like to feel like you just don't want to do anything like you, which is very weird for my personality. So I'm in New York, I'm in this weird place and I had always kind of envisioned being a teacher and um, like one time I called my dad in the middle of college and was like, I'm changing my major to education. And he's like, Whoa, no, you're not. That's like more school. You're prone to be passionate about things for a second. And I just was on this whole thing that I wanted to be a teacher. And, 
Um, so he convinced me and talked me off the ledge and convinced me to stay in my business major, which I'm super grateful for. That would have been not the right move, but there's a program called teach for America. And I knew I wanted to like serve some sort of the population that was marginalized. And I didn't really know what that looked like, but teach for America, they train non-education majors and send them for two years into a title one school. So a title one school is a certain percentage of kids are on free lunch. So which then indicates that their family meets a certain income level and is below that line. And so I definitely had a bit of savior complex and was like, I'm going to go into a school and rescue all these kids. And so I applied for Teach for America and um, I got accepted and I ended up getting Charlotte. But I had six months before that was going to start. So this is like in the fall and I'm not going to go to Teach for America training until summer of the next year. And I just couldn't stay in New York anymore. I, I just, I couldn't do it. I was miserable. And so I moved back to Jacksonville and moved in with my parents, which again, I look back and like, to me, that was this, I felt like I was coming home a dog with its tail between its leg, moving in with my parents. And now I'm so grateful for that time that I got to live with my parents as my roommates and not as just my parents. And I mean, I'm very close to my family and it was just such a sweet time that I lived with them, which is a sidebar. But anyway, again, just like a situation where I felt like I was failing and looking back, it was such a an important building block to where I am now. But so I move home and my dad's like, all right, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't have very much money and you have six months and we're not paying for you to live. So you need to get a job. So I had this other pipe dream of being a coffee barista. So I got a job at Starbucks. I think they looked at my resume and they were like a little confused why I was coming to work at Starbucks. Yeah, it was the opposite of what we just talked about. That's right. You're supposed to go from coffee shop to corporate. That's right. Um, They're like, why do you want to work here? So I got a, a job at the coffee shop and then I had also been certified to be a Zumba instructor. So I started teaching Zumba classes at this little gym. That was all, I think like my 10th grade science teacher was in there. It was like all women over 60. It was amazing. I was a dog walker. And then I was an event coordinator for my mom's company. So I had all these, oh, and I was an Uber driver. I forgot about that one. I was an Uber driver. I had just bought a Jeep Wrangler, which why? And not gas mileage friendly. And I'm driving Uber. People are getting in like, whoa, I've never been in a Jeep Wrangler Uber. I'm like, right. There's a reason for that because I'm losing money right now. And um, so anyway, I just had like four or five jobs and it was so fun. And like, I was finally experiencing, like you said, I kind of did it in reverse order, but it was just so fun to have these jobs that I could check in and check out and go to the beach. And I just had like time to process what had happened to me, to process who I was. Like I was really coming into myself at that time. Um, At the same time I met Wes, well, didn't meet him, reconnected with him. We had been friends in high school, but reconnected. And he'd had a crush on you for like a decade. And finally, finally you saw him. You had time, you set aside time and you finally saw him. And But at the same time, like I was moving to Charlotte in six months and he was not trying to engage, which I didn't know this at the time, but he was not trying to do any kind of long distance relationship. So he was kind of holding back and whatever. And 
And then I remember having like anxiety thinking about moving to Charlotte, which was new for me because I'm like, why? I love new experiences. I love moving to new places. And I feel like the Lord just kind of showed me like, I just wasn't ready to start over again. Like I just still wasn't fully healed from everything that I had experienced. And I just needed to be with my family, with my church that I love so much in Florida, with the beach. Like I just couldn't uproot my life again. But I was also like, I can't get out of it. I'm assigned to Charlotte. Like this is what it is. And I remember being at a bonfire with some friends and Wes and I, again, we were just friends at this point. And he, he's like, why, why do you have to move to Charlotte? Can't you ask them if you can be in Jacksonville? And I thought for the first time, oh, yeah, I guess I could ask them if I could be in Jacksonville. So the next day I called them and they're like, yeah, you can be in Jacksonville. Then I felt just a huge weight lifted. And and then Wes and I started dating very soon after that. And um, so I did Teach for America. I was doing that. I honestly loved it. I loved my kids. I loved, I taught ninth grade English at a high school on the west side of Jacksonville. And I just really underestimated how much I would just adore these kids. But at the same time, like teaching in public school, it's just hard. Like there are rules that you have to follow and curriculum you have to follow. And these students were really behind. I mean, I had kids who couldn't write a sentence. Um, and one of the, I had to teach them Shakespeare. Like we had to read Hamlet and they can't even put together a sentence, a basic sentence. And so the gap of education was just really evident. And that was just really hard to fight against. And, and it kind of just left you a little bit handcuffed. And so towards the end of the year, I had someone reach out to me from my church and just said, Hey, how's teaching going? I'm like, honestly, not great. To be honest, I love the kids so much, but I, and then I shared all the things and they were like, well, have you ever thought about coming and working in ministry? And I'm like, no, no, I'm called to the secular world, to underserved communities. Like, no. And then God kind of started working on my heart and showed me that that actually was like the exact next step for me. So after my first year of teaching, um, I ended up taking a job at our church as an administrative assistant, which again, I just, I would have never done that three years prior. I, that was so beneath me. And I say that tongue in cheek now because I was one. And so I have like the utmost respect for administrative assistance and the work that that is, but it was a position of obscurity for me. And it was exactly what I needed. God totally pressed out of me a lot of my just instinctual tendencies to strive, to be in the spotlight, to accomplish things. Cause I was just serving a pastor and organizing his calendar and I just learned so much about myself. It was hard on a lot of days. I did it for two years, which was the longest I had ever had a job, by the way. And I was like, take that, everybody, two years. And I just knew like I wasn't supposed to seek another job until a door was opened, which again was so against everything that I had been trained. And I just knew that I was going to sit back and wait for a door to open. And then one ended up opening very unexpectedly. And it's the job I'm doing currently. And I want to do it for the rest of my life. Like I never thought I could love a job as much as I love the one that I'm doing right now. 
so anyway, all of that to say, I've had many jobs since the corporate world. It was not sunshine and rainbows. It was not a clear straight path. It was super zigzag. It was steps backward before it was steps forward. And I think just now I'm seeing, okay, like as I'm turning into my thirties, like these are the productive years. Like these are the years that I'm going to do the most. And the twenties are for perseverance. Like the twenties are, you got to, you get through it and like, you just work really hard at what you're doing. And now I'm turning the corner into productivity in my thirties, which is just cool to see the journey that I've kind of been on from there. I am personally very grateful that you were a Zumba instructor because when we had our family vacation together and you (laughs) led a Zumba class for our families, I honestly have never had more fun. That was (laughs) seeing all those people attempt Zumba and you just crushing it out there to that cake song that is now honestly one of my favorite i get i get the biggest smile on my face when i listen to that song so thank you (laughs) from the bottom of my heart for becoming a zumba instructor yeah and like so much freedom and fun to move your body like that yeah so i'm glad you enjoyed it (laughs) very grateful for it all right so you say you love what you do now what do you do now it's called a service programming director so anyone that's not in ministry that title means really nothing most titles of jobs mean absolutely nothing. That's true. If we're being honest. As the service programming director, I am helping to put together our sermon series and our weekend services. So um, from the ideation of it, where like all we know is we're going to do 21 weeks on the book of Psalms. And we usually have like a two-day creative brainstorming um, offsite and we'll talk about like, what's the series going to look and feel like? What stories are we going to tell? What resources are we going to have available? Um, what special elements will we have? Things like this. And then I kind of take all that information, all that creative thinking, and I run the ball down the field until we start a series. So I kind of say I'm like a people and project manager. I don't directly oversee a team, but I work with tons of teams all of our teams really to create the weekend experience and what people are walking into um, when they come into church. And so just making sure that all those elements are a part of our culture as a church are staying true to like biblical integrity and truth and making an awesome experience where people can like, we don't try to be a brand. We don't try and be, just like a show or a concert. We really just want people to encounter God. And so how do we set up an environment to do that? And that's basically what my job is. And if someone needs a ride or they need their dog walked <laughs> or they need some coffee no, I've or, retired. They, or they need to do some, <laughs> some Zumba, like you're their girl. I know I've retired from all of the above and I've left, I've put those all to rest for now, but, um, But yeah, it's really fun because it's like, it's a perfect mixture for me. I've always felt creative, but I don't have like a specific skill. Like I'm not out there painting. My husband's a photographer. Like I'm not, I don't have like, I could never like put words to it, but I, but I have a creative mind, but I also love business. Like I love processes and projects and the way people work together. And I get to, my job is basically 50% of each. And I get to do both in this really beautiful blend 
that again, I just didn't even know existed. And now I'm like, oh, this is like exactly what I'm called to do. This conversation reminds me of a book called Range. It's by David Epstein. Mm. It basically talks about how some of the most successful people in the world are pretty good at a ton of things instead of being an expert at one thing. And now we need those experts. We need people who are really, really, really good at one thing. But all the experiences that you've had, all the lessons, all the schooling that you've done, all the different jobs you've had have built up those lenses we talked about from a dragonfly earlier. And they've kind of culminated into you're really good at a lot of things, but not maybe like super good at one thing. But this lends itself perfectly to the role you're in, it seems. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, definitely not a specialist in anything other than getting a group of people together to accomplish a vision, which is its own skill set in and of itself. And that's what I think. It's sometimes hard to put, like you're saying, it's sometimes hard to put like skills into a word. I work with people who are incredible singers and worship leaders. I work with people who are super skilled audio production specialists. And I'm like, I get like Wes calls me the leader of meetings. Like I lead a lot of meetings and I think it's something I'm good at. You need people to do that. And it's as valuable as like an audio specialist pushing faders in a service, you know? And so, yeah, trying to recognize like, okay, God has given me a specific set of giftings. And when I look at someone else and I see theirs, like that makes sense for their job. And so how can I use like this broad range of things and do what I'm called to. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you found found that. And a book I want to touch on here that I've touched on in the podcast a couple of times is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I actually heard about this book for the first time from your mom probably two years ago. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll get to the book. And then I kept it kept coming up. I kept hearing about it from your family, from others. And I know you and I have both read it. And it's mm-hmm. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm just curious what your takeaway was from that book and how you've implemented it. Yeah, gosh, so much from that book. It's it's like the top book I recommend to people. And I was having a conversation recently and the person said, um, or it was a, a workshop teaching. And he said, what is one word you want your kids to describe you as when they get older? And the first word that popped into my head was unhurried. And then I started thinking about, uh uh-oh, am I doing that right now? Like, am I living unhurried? Which that's what the book really touches on is like, I remember right at the beginning, it was so convicting because it said, if you are going to check out at a grocery store and you immediately look for the line that's the shortest, you might be a hurried person. If you are at a stoplight and you can't just sit there, you have to like look at your phone, touch the radio, you might be a hurried person. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a hurried person. So just the whole idea of like, do you bring peace into a room? Like, what are you bringing into a room? Are people like on edge? Like, whoa, you're like a lot happening. Cause I can be a lot happening. I'm loud. I'm super extroverted. I like live with urgency. Like we need to get this, this, and this done. I can be like a little bit intense. And so when I walk into a room, like, what am I bringing with me? Like, am I, what kind of presence do I bring into a room? Um, and then like a lesson on Sabbath, you know, growing up in church world, you hear Sabbath and you think, oh, Sundays, like you're not supposed to really do anything. And that's just not what it is. You know, this might be a little, 
not controversial, but work-life balance is a hot topic these days. And I just don't love that idea because I just don't think, I think we can live in tandem work and life. I think we were created to work. And I think what, how we've been designed is actually in rhythm. And so when we think about Sabbath, biblically speaking, we think about the earth, it was, we were created in seven days and on the seventh day, God rested. But that was the first day man was alive. And so actually like our, the first man and woman hadn't done any work yet and they're resting. So we rest for work, not from work. And Sabbath is just a rhythm to unplug and not necessarily sit in silence and not do anything. I think that's also like a preconceived notion, but do something that fills you up that you can then out of that Sabbath, do what you're called to do, run really, really hard at it because you've been filled up. So like for me, things that fill me are spending time with friends, yoga, reading, going to the beach. Like these things aren't just like, oh, Sabbath, you got to like sit still in a room and like listen to worship music. That's important. But Sabbath is really just like, what rhythm are you in of filling your cup so that you can continue to pour out? Because our cups get so drained, so drained. Um, Whether it's by people, if you're an introvert or by your work or by your kids, like, which is okay, by the way, if your cup gets drained by your kids, depending on what age they are, you can still enjoy them even if it drains your cup. So just like, how are you continually rhythmically filling back up your cup? And I feel like that book just kind of opened my eyes to what Sabbath truly means. Allie, you've touched on a couple of things on how you're a three on the Enneagram. You and I are both extroverted people. We get energized by people. We love to lead. How do you go about not being in a hurry? not feeling like I got to take on the world as an extroverted person. Like how do you, how do you walk into that room and and not give that off? Usually how I'm walking into a room is reflective of what habits I am or am not doing. Um, Like if I've had a chaotic morning, I'm bringing chaos into my meetings. Like, But if I've been intentional and patient with our 11-month-old, patient with Wes, if I'm carving out time in the morning to read and pray, like then I'm bringing peace into a room. And I have just found, and I mean, listen, being a new mom, like this is so, so hard. A, I'm a totally different person. So like, hey, nice to meet you. Let me learn all this new stuff. B, like, when am I supposed to do all these things I want to do? I'm so confused how to be a full-time mom and a full-time employee and a full-time wife. Like, these things just, how do these coexist? And so, I mean, I'm for sure on a journey of learning, but I have just noticed how you wake up and what you do with, like, the first hour of your day can kind of be evidence of how the day is going to go. And when I get to four o'clock and I'm in a meeting and I'm irritable and I'm short or I'm intense, I'm like, well, this makes sense. Like I woke up and was just running a hundred miles an hour trying to get everyone out of the house and where they need to be and this, that, and the other, and not just like centering myself. Yeah. You were in a hurry. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So (laughs) what in your ideal world was the best way to spend that first hour? One thing Ruthless Elimination of Hurry actually talks about is how he doesn't set an alarm and how he wakes up and goes to sleep with the sun. 
which depending on where you live, like that might be more difficult based on like, you know. Yeah, you're in Alaska. That's a little tough. Yeah, that's right. Naturally waking up when your body is done with the amount of sleep that it needs, I think is really important. We've lately, like we go and our daughter's name is Sunny. When Sunny cries or is awake, like we go and get her and bring her into our bed and we just like hang for 10, 15 minutes and play. And like, we aren't rushing to get out of bed to get everything together for the day. We kind of just take a pause and hang out as a family for a few minutes. And then just like, as we're getting, like I move quickly, like physically moving quickly. So just like slowing down and realizing like, it is okay if I'm not out of the house. I mean, if I have a meeting, I'm going to be on time for a meeting. Punctuality is important. But like, let me just like slow down a little. Let me like when my daughter is eating breakfast, let me sit down next to her and eat breakfast instead of trying to eat it on the counter while I'm also packing her bag for the day. Like, let me just sit and be present with whatever activity is happening. I'll get to what I need to get to at the time I need to get to it. Hey, one other topic that I didn't really say that I wanted to ask you about, but it's minimalism. So I have been experimenting and exploring this over the last couple of years. Just little, little things here and there, like being very intentional about what's in my closet. And I know that you and Wes have been exploring that too. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what has surprised you most about being minimalistic or whatever, however you would define it? Yeah. Freedom. The world wants to convince us that you need all this stuff and every season i mean historically speaking fashion brands would come out with new lines once a year seasons weren't a thing so the average person might buy like four new items of clothing a year and then fashion brands realized oh if we say that your clothes need to change every season and every year we'll make way more money And I bought into that for years. Oh my gosh, my shopping problem. I mean, if you talk to anyone in my family, they would say, oh, Allie has a spending money shopping problem. Specifically in regards to like clothing, um, because I always thought like that's how I express myself. That's my creative expression. And there's just so much freedom in not living how the world is trying to make you live. Like, with the money they're trying to spend and social media. I mean, it's impossible Um, because you're just, you will never have enough and there's always going to be a new thing. There's always going to be a new trend. And so just like choosing timeless, really good quality things in your life and enjoying them. I mean, we got a a set of glassware, these four glasses that are like hand-blown, really cool amber-colored drinking glasses And we just like love using them. We only have four. They're the only glasses we have. Like, and we just love using those glasses. They make us happy when we're using them. They're really great quality. And then we just wash them and put them away. And so even like with the hurried mentality, minimalism helps with that. Like we don't have a microwave. Um, We don't have a dishwasher. Like we just try and make really intentional decisions to use what we need in that moment and not have excess, but we're not perfect. And I mean, we still watch TV every night and I'm really close to getting rid of our dryer 
and hang lining, hang drying all of our clothes, but Wes doesn't think I will be able to do it. Um, so, I mean, we still like obviously have things that aren't like, we're not full blown hundred percent minimalist, but we definitely try and just live in as simple of a life as we can. So if someone's exploring this for the first time, what's one thing you would recommend they try to do? Getting rid of a microwave. The microwave is a microcosm of the whole world. The fact that you can put something in for 30 seconds and it comes out piping hot is the instant gratification that this world convinces you. And I'm just telling you, food tastes better when it's reheated on the stove. It's just facts. And that was like the most surprising thing for us because we used the microwave a lot. And when we were like, I think we need to get rid of it, we were like, this is going to be hard. And then we were like, this is not hard. This has not been a hard transition at all. And I just feel, I just, it has been like one of the best things that we've chosen to live without. Okay. I have to ask, cause I love leftovers. That is my lunch most times, right? We sure. put it in a, like a glass bowl and then I stick that glass bowl in the microwave, heat it up for a minute sure. or two. So you just dump that bowl into a pot. Yep. And just add a little water. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, within, well, it depends on if you have a gas range or an electric range, we have a gas range, so it's a little bit quicker, but I'm telling you within, within three minutes, it's heated. Like it's, it's, we always thought, oh, it's going to take forever to heat. I remember my parents stove growing up to forever to get hot and it's just not true. I mean, it's so try it. I want you to try it and tell me what you think. I will. And you guys are going to be without a microwave. You're moving into a new house and you're going to get rid of your microwave. I can feel it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Allie, thank you for the time today. This was so fun to connect with you, hear your stories, hear your journey. I appreciate your vulnerability throughout the process. And I just care so much for you and your family and I'm just honored that you said yes to being on the podcast. So really, really grateful for you being on. Well, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity and anytime I can share struggles that I've been through, um, and lessons I've learned, you know, I think experience is a really great teacher, but if you can learn from someone else's experiences and avoid them yourself, I think we would choose that sometimes. So, um, yeah, I'm honored that you would ask me and proud of everything you're doing and our family relationship. And it's just, it's really fun to see where we are now that we're even doing this, um, with so much life behind us. It's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Well, thanks again for being on. We built with Allie Parsons. Hey listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the build with clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen. So you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.